time that intro plays, I want to be standing here like this going, good morning. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I just, you know, anyway, I'm not going to do that. But today I will tell you about a character in the Bible who actually would fit the superhero mold, at least with super strength. There's one guy in the Bible who did have that. The problem was he didn't have super character to go along with it. This is a flawed hero. Inside your bulletin, you'll find an outline entitled Samson, the Flawed Hero. We've talked about uh, last week, Gideon, a reluctant hero. And every other week, I'm telling you about people, hey, the heroes in the Bible weren't superheroes, but this guy was pretty close. Um, but just like if you watch some of the modern Batman movies and stuff, you discover, hey, Bruce Wayne's got issues, okay? Well, Samson has issues, and you'll see that today. And the people of God had issues. And so this is a story of a time when there was great moral decline, when things were not going as God had planned and instructed his people. In fact, they turned far from him. It's point one on your outline. After settling in the promised land, the Israelites abandoned God in favor of the cultures around them. They did. Here's what Judges says in Judges 3. The people of Israel made themselves at home among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. You can put termites in there for all I care, okay? They made their home among the people there. You get the idea. Whoever was living there, they went with that. God had brought them to the promised land, rescued them from slavery, and said, here's the deal. I'm going to be your God. You be my people. I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey, all these Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, these have been people who have turned against me. These are people who are sacrificing their children in fire just to get a bigger crop. People who live terribly immoral lives. People who worship little statues and things. And they weren't seeking after anything that God had. And he said, drive them out. I'm going to give you that land. And then I'm going to bless you there. Israel is to be perfectly situated so that people coming from the north or the south, they had to go through that land. And God would demonstrate to them that he was the real God. Not these little idols. Not little statues that can't really see or hear. And by the way, people would worship that statue until a crop failure. Then they'd take it off the shelf and put another one up there. God says, I'm not an idol. That's why they were told, don't make idols of me. I'm not an idol. I'm not a trinket. I'm the real God. Don't worship the sun. I made the sun. Don't worship thunder and lightning. I'm the one who created it. Worship me. Obey me. Don't worship these foreign gods. If you end up worshiping these foreign gods and loving the gods that these other cultures have, then I'll let you be driven off the land just like you drove them out. But the people of Israel made themselves at home among all these people. They married their daughters, gave their own daughters and their sons in marriage, and they worshiped their gods. And they forgot all about why God put them there. They were to be a light to the whole world. So everyone would say there's a true God in Israel. There's a real God. There weren't any atheists in that day. You either worship the God of the Israelites, the God of the Babylonians, or the Assyrians, or the Mesopotamians, whatever it would be, the God of the Egyptians. And many of them had many gods. And God says, I want to demonstrate to the whole world I'm a real God. But when they got in the land, instead of driving the people out, they made themselves at home and intermarried and began to worship their gods. There's a life application for you and me. God wants us to be lights in our world. They were to be a light in their day. We're to be a light in our day. Here's what Jesus told the disciples. You are a light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The whole idea is to give as much light as we can. And all too often, we go the opposite way. Well, what would it be like to put a light under a bowl? Well, refusing to speak up when you know something isn't right. 
unwilling to talk to other people about God when you have the perfect opportunity, not caring about the needs of others, only about yourself, getting so morally compromised that people wouldn't listen to you about God anyway because your lifestyle isn't any different than theirs. All these things can happen to diminish our light. And that was all happening in their day. They made themselves at home. It's so there wasn't a two cents worth of difference between an Israelite and a Hittite or an Amorite or today the Philistines. That's why we're going over these stories. We learn from them. Some of the stories we get great encouragement. Some of the stories we get warning. You're going to get some warnings out of this story today because there's a lot of parallels here. The children of Israel forgot why they were left in the promised land. And sometimes as Christians, we can forget why we've been left alive in this land. I mean, some of you heard me say this before, but when we baptize people, we could just baptize them. And if the whole goal is just to get them saved so they go to heaven, we should baptize them and hold them under and then do the funeral right after that. Because they won't have a chance to mess up. I mean, if the goal is to get them saved and get them to heaven, I mean, so if I get baptized when I'm 15 and I live to be 85, what am I supposed to do with the 70 years in between? Binge watch Netflix. That's what I'm supposed to do. No, think about the things we do. And yet, it's very clear here that Jesus said, the reason I'm leaving you here is to be a light in a dark world. A city on a hill, you can see the light from miles away. The darker it gets, the brighter it shines. Hopefully this story will be a wake-up call for every one of us today. God wants us as Christians to speak up and stand out. Not to compromise our convictions. If there's ever been a time when those of us who know Christ need to speak up about it, it's now. Has God saved you from your sins Tell others about it. Has he freed you from an addiction? Has he allowed you to get away from the guilt and shame that bound you up for years and now you're free? Why would I keep that to myself? Our world needs us. The world in their day needed the people of Israel to stand up and do what God told them to do. But sadly, they weren't up to the challenge. That's why there's a warning for us. We dare not let political correctness or whatever it is, say, to keep us in a box or get us diminished. The people of their day weren't willing to stand up, and so God used a very unlikely, very flawed man to do something about it. I'm going to tell you the story of Samson. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the day. I thank you that you have brought us here together. I pray that you will speak and move me out of the way. Lord, it was a sad day when people just had given up on you completely. And you, Samson, who was very flawed, because apparently that was the only person that you could use. I pray the day you'll challenge us and remind us, hey, what are we doing? Why are we here? I want you to speak, Lord. Tell us whatever we need to know. Warn us of the things we need to be warned about. Encourage us in the things that we're doing well. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Point two, God raised up a supernaturally strong rescuer named Samson to begin getting his people back on track. This would be a work that would begin in his lifetime. We'll talk about Samuel and uh, next week and some other things, but there was a prophet that came behind him. King David came after that. And so there were a series of people that had to rescue Israel, but it began with Samson. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. And then I didn't skip anything here. It just stops there. If you've been reading the book of Judges, this is from Judges 13 and Judges 3 and 4 and 6 and 8 and all these things, you find all these cycles of how people had 
honored the Lord for a while, like when they came into the promised land, as long as Joshua, their leader, lived, and the generation that followed him, they were faithful, but then they fell away. Then God would allow people to come in, just as I said, hey, if you follow me, I'll protect you. If you want to go and live on your own, I'll let other nations conquer you. And you'll be driven out just like the people who were doing that wicked stuff before you got here. But they would go through these cycles. Then somebody would come in and it'd say eight years they were under subjection to the Midianites or whatever. And then God, they would cry out to the Lord and the Lord would send them a deliverer. Ten years they were under subjection to another group of people and the Lord would send them a deliverer when they cried out. They'd cry out. They'd cry out. God would send a deliverer. By the time we get to this passage, the Israelites had done evil in the Lord's sight. They were bound over to the Philistines for 40 years and there's crickets. Nobody even cried out to the Lord anymore. And you'll see when they come to the edge of open warfare, the Israelites go, hey, we don't even want to fight. They'd completely forgotten what God had brought them, why God had brought them to the promised land. They'd completely forgotten what they were supposed to be doing. And they were just giving in to the culture. And whatever the culture said is what they would do. So again, they did evil in the Lord's sight. The Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. And in those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan, there were 12 tribes in Israel, lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you've been able to have children, you'll soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink or eat any forbidden food. You'll become pregnant, give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut. For he'll be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He'll begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. There's a note here that this, there was going to be a special child born, which is why an angel of the Lord was sent to announce his arrival. God was going to do something special to this child. And the note reminds us that God wanted Samson to be devoted only to him for his entire life. A Nazarite vow was a special vow of dedication. It had three special things. You'll see them here. If any of the people take the special vow of a Nazarite, setting themselves apart to God in a special way, they must give up wine and other alcoholic drinks, they must never cut their hair, and they must not go near a dead body during the entire period of their vow to the Lord. Well, since Samson was supposed to be dedicated his whole life, he should never do any of those things his whole life. But you'll see, he didn't hold to those convictions. And that brings us to the next point. Sadly, Samson grew up to be just as self-centered and apathetic towards God as everyone else. Please write in the word apathetic. Some of you won't because you don't care. Now, <laughs> tough crowd. Okay, here we go. That, was not, that wasn't funny at 8. I won't do that at 11 either. Okay, here we go. Um, no, but apathy is what kills us. It's the frog and the kettle thing. You turn up the heat slowly enough on a frog, you can, he won't jump out until he's cooked. Apathy happened to the people there too. They just got used to things. They didn't speak up, didn't change, didn't stand for anything. Compromise, 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 and one day, it's too late. The apathy allowed them to be way off course. And God got Samson to begin getting them back on track. But it was apathy. In fact, here's a summary verse for the whole book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Would you read that with me, please? In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Hmm. I think you can understand how this might relate to us too. Every special interest group, every individual, hey, I don't care what's right in God's eyes. I've got special needs. I'm a special case. 
So now we live in a culture we can justify any kind of immorality, any kind of perversion. We can justify any behavior or any lifestyle. And if you stand up and say, hey, this isn't what the Bible says, who are you to judge? How dare you be so phobic, so hateful, so awful? And it doesn't matter on anything. I want to do what's right in my eyes. I know the Bible doesn't say it, but I think it's right for me. But for me, in my eyes, I hope you can see how this relates. These stories, if you think these old stories have nothing to do with how we live now, they have everything to do with how we live now. And if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And these people ended up in bondage for 40 years. They'd gone out of slavery. God took them out of slavery in Egypt. Now they're in slavery in their own promised land because they won't stand up for themselves. And they're just doing what everybody else does. I'm just taking care of me. Sadly, Samson grew up in that and he was just as apathetic as anybody else. He was supposed to be devoted to the Lord, but that's not what happened. One day when Samson was in Timnah, which is one of the Philistine cities, Remember, we read up the top, they weren't supposed to marry the sons and daughters of the people of the land. One day, when Samson was in Timnah, one of the Philistine women caught his eye. Everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. When he returned home, he told his father and mother, a young Philistine woman in Timnah caught my eye, I want to marry her. Get her for me. In those days, he had arranged marriages, so his father and mother objected. Isn't there even one woman in our tribe among all the Israelites you could marry? Why must you go marry this... Uh, why must you go to the pagan Philistines to find a wife? And there's a dot, dot, dot there, and I'm going to explain later that the Lord was doing something here. You'll, we'll get that in a second. But also you need to know that when they went down to arrange the wedding, um, Sam, the parents went down, and then Samson apparently followed a little later, and a lion jumped out on the road when he was traveling. He was by himself, and the Spirit of the Lord came on, and he just ripped the lion in half, grabbed it by the jaws and ripped it in half, demonstrating he had super strength. When they went back, they arranged the wedding, went back home. A month or a couple months passed, apparently. They came back to actually carry out the wedding celebration. And Samson stepped aside to go see the carcass of the lion. And there had been a, a beehive. A group of bees had made their hive unusually inside of a carcass. I don't even know how common that would be. I think it would be very rare. But Samson went and grabbed some of the honey and ate it and gave some to his parents. But he didn't tell them where he got it. Because if he'd have told them, they'd have said, hey, you're a Nazarite. You can't touch a dead body of anything. You can't eat honey out of a corpse. And there would have been a procedure for him to go to the tabernacle and repent and recommit to his vows. But Samson wanted to get married, and he was doing what was right in his eyes. And so he didn't tell anybody. In fact, he uses it as an opportunity to make some money. So Samson went on down to the wedding party, and there were about 30 guys there. And so Samson threw a party at Timnah, as was a custom of elite, for elite young men. And he said to them, let me tell you a riddle. You solve my riddle during these seven days of celebration, I'll give you 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. But if you can't solve it, then you give me 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing. All right, they agreed. Let's hear your riddle. So he said, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. I mean, he killed a lion and gotten honey out of it, but nobody else knew about it. Well, on the fourth day, there were seven days to this wedding celebration, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we'll burn down your father's house with you in it. Now you know why God had cause against the Philistines. These are people at a wedding. <laughs> hey, you don't tell us the riddle, we'll burn you alive. 
and your parents too. Thanks for inviting us to the wedding. Wow. So Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me, you hate me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't even told me the answer. And she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. At last, on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him to death with her nagging. Um, Won't comment there. She explained the riddle to the young men. So before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town came to Samson with their answer. What's sweeter than honey and what's stronger than a lion? And Samson said, you never would have been able to figure that out if you hadn't threatened my wife. Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson. He went down to the town of Ashkelon, another Philistine city, killed 30 men, took their belongings, gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. But Samson was furious about what had happened. He went back home to live with his father and mother. So his wife was given in marriage to the man who had been Samson's best man at the wedding. It's a great embarrassment to have a celebration for a wife and then not give her away to anybody. And so they gave her away to a Philistine young man. Well, sometime later, Samson came back to visit his wife. And her father said, no, I gave her away. I thought you were never coming back. I thought you were so mad. And now we jump into the action again. This is from Judges 15. And Samson said, this time I cannot be blamed for everything I'm going to do to you Philistines. So then he went out and caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together in pairs, fastened a torch to each pair of tails, and then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. And I'll bet they ran. He burned all their grain to the ground. Who did this? The Philistines demanded. Samson was replied because his father-in-law from Timnah gave Samson's wife to be married to her best man. So the Philistines went and got the woman woman and her father, and this time they really did it. They burned him to death. And so now they got even with Samson. Samson was getting even with them. Now they got even with him. So here's the next level. Because you did this, Samson vowed, I won't rest till I take my revenge on you. So he attacked the Philistines with great fury and killed many of them. The Philistines said, oh yeah? And they retaliated by going to Judah and setting up camp. We've come to capture Samson uh, and pay him back for what he did to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson. Don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? Now these are the people, the people of Judah, who are supposed to be standing for the things the Lord wanted them to do. They were supposed to be the people who took possession of the land But here it's been over 40 years in captivity. They finally have a champion, somebody obviously has at least a little bit of courage. He's motivated only by revenge, but at least he has courage. Instead of those 3,000 men saying, hey, you don't need to be doing this on your own here. We We need to come up together with something and get behind what the Lord wants us to do. Instead, they take him and say, hey, what are you doing to us? We're slaves. We can't fight them. And what you see in a little bit is the Philistines came up with 1,000 men They had 3,000 of them. They outnumbered them three to one. They had a champion on their side, and nobody saw it that way. They just handed Samson over. The obvious outcome, Samson was going to be tortured and humiliated. He eventually was. You'll see that. And they were okay with that. They'd rather hand over one of their own than make anybody mad. We'd rather turn on one of our own than stand up for something, what we should have been doing. What are you doing to us? What are you doing to us? Put it in modern context. What are you doing taking a stand on the Bible? Don't you know that that's not politically correct and people will be upset about that? Don't you know? You have to get along. Shh. 
Don't tell anybody there's such a thing as sin. Don't tell anybody that they can be forgiven of their sin if they come to Jesus. Rather, tell them there's no sin to forgive. Don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? God didn't bring us into this land to drive them out. We just have to give in. What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. Look, the Philistines are looking out what's their best interest. Samson's looking out what's his best interest. The people of Judah, their best interest. Nobody's saying a prayer. Nobody's asking God what they should do. You're not going to see it. Because they don't care. They're apathetic about that. But the men of Judah told him, we come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, Samson said, but promise me you won't kill me yourselves. At least there's that. So as Samson arrived at Lehi, the place where the Philistines were camped, the Philistines came shouting in triumph. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson, and he snapped the ropes from his arms as they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrists. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey, picked it up, and killed a thousand Philistines with it. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them in heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've killed a thousand men. And when he finished his boasting, he threw away the jawbone, and the place has been named Jawbone Hill ever since. Well, I guess so. Now, here's an important note. God used Samson to display his power and bring judgment on the Philistines in spite of Samson's sinfulness. If you're thinking, well, God just doesn't care whatever Samson does is fine with him, you'll see in a minute, Samson had to suffer terrible consequences for the choices he made. He was a very flawed person. And things could have been very different. Judges 14.4, his father and mother didn't realize that this is the verse I told you I'd get to. When Samson was asking for this Philistine wife, his mom and dad didn't realize the Lord was at work in this, creating an opportunity to work against the Philistines who ruled over Israel at that time. God never created them to be slaves. And he sent a rescuer even though they weren't crying out for him to do so. In fact, they were all capitulating. Elsewhere in the Bible, you'll see this too. God didn't make Samson make those horrible choices. He made them, and God used them in spite of that. When Joseph's brother sold him into slavery, God used it as an opportunity to raise him to a point of elevation where he, in government in Egypt so he could eventually save their lives from a great famine that would happen about 20 years later. Joseph himself explained it this way to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And in the margin, if you'd write Romans 8, 28, God causes all things to work together for good for those who fear him and are called according to his purpose. There were terrible things done there. But in spite of all that, God used it for good. There's a life application also that I think is terribly important in our day now where we have people acting and doing whatever is right in their own eyes and people can get in shouting matches and things can escalate to the point now where we have mass shootings when people get upset? How should Christians respond? Well, the people of their day were supposed to drive the people out of the land. The people of our day, we have clear instructions from Jesus. We have clear instructions about being peacemakers from him, clear instructions from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, how Christians are supposed to respond when people treat us with evil. And it's not to escalate. God wants us to be peacemakers, not to escalate conflict. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone, dear friends. Never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I'll take revenge. I'll pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. 
Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. Not blessed are the people who send out angry tweets and stir up even more anger. Hey, I'm going to post this video with somebody screaming and yelling and getting all upset and saying horrible things because he's saying the horrible things against the people I don't like, and then they're going to post something back, and we're going to get on the news shows, and we're just going to scream at each other and never listen. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about here? This is the Christian way? The Christian way is for us to calm things down, not make them worse, to be peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. Don't read from the story of Samson because God was, there was one guy who was even willing to fight it all, and God had to use him. 3,000 of them wouldn't do anything except hand him over. Don't read into that, that this is God's will for all of us. You'll see that Samson made some horrible choices in the next paragraph, too. Let's get on to that, point four. The Philistines, if you're thinking Samson just got away with it, he didn't. They used Samson's lust to bring him down. Sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. She was a prostitute, a Philistine prostitute. Her name, by the way, means woman of the night. Here was a guy supposed to be devoted to God, a light among his people. He's among the Philistines, consorting with a woman of the night. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, Hey, entice Samson to tell you what makes him so strong and how he can be overpowered and tied up securely. Then each of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. This would be the equivalent of millions of dollars today, each of them. This woman's going to be set for life. And it argues against, every time you see Samson in a movie, he's like seven feet tall with 31-inch biceps. What's the secret to his strength? He's seven feet tall. He's got 31-inch biceps. What do you mean? He's huge. The thing is, Samson was probably a very ordinary-looking guy. Well, he had long hair, okay. But he was an ordinary-looking guy, and that's why they wanted to know the secret. There's no secret if he's the Incredible Hulk. They thought there was some kind of magic potion, like, Strength potion number nine or whatever. You know, he must be rubbing on his muscles or something. Figure out what it is. Well, she tormented him with her nagging day after day. Does anybody recognize this again? I mean, this is incredible. She tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared the secret with her. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from my birth. He hadn't honored the part about the corpses. He probably had gotten... You know, his friends were all drinking buddies at these weddings and things. He'd pro- he had certainly compromised in the area of purity and other things. There was one area, though, in which he'd been faithful, and it just shows God's long-suffering with a very flawed guy like Samson because there was one area where he was still obedient. God was still willing to strengthen him. My hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was ded- dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I'd become as weak as anyone else. And you wonder if he really believed that, because if he really believed it, why would he tell anybody that? Delilah lulled Samson to sleep with her head in her lap, and then she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. And in this way, she began to bring him down, and his strength left him. Then she cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I'll do as I've done before and shake myself free. But here's the most horrible verse in all the book of Judges, but he didn't realize the Lord had left him. He was so compromised so into sin, so into the rest of the culture that he didn't even know when God left him. So the Philistines captured him and they gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in prison. 
Everyone was doing right in their own eyes. Samson saw a Philistine woman who looked good in his eyes. The Philistines gouged out his eyes. Do not think that we can sin with impunity and get away with it. In fact, that's a life application here. Especially in the area of sexual immorality, we need to run before it ensnares us and ruins our lives. Proverbs 5, Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. That literally happened to Samson. I've seen parallel things happen to so many people. A, a relationship, an improper relationship, might start out on Facebook or just with a phone call or meeting for lunch or other things, and all of a sudden it turns into a full-blown affair, and the next thing you know it, the family's destroyed, the job is destroyed, the reputation's destroyed, kids won't talk to them anymore. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? That's our day. That's our day. Christians, the same as non-Christians. We're supposed to be a city on a hill. Samson was supposed to be a great deliverer. Why are you going down and meeting a woman of the night? Cost him his eyes. They shaved off his hair. It cost him his strength. He was grinding grain in prison. And he was a joke. I'm telling you, sexual sin can bring us down. Immorality can bring us down. So fast, it's frightening. I want to give a warning to everyone here. That warning in Proverbs is good for all time. The story of Samson is a lesson to us all. The strongest man was made weak by this sin. Solomon, the wisest man, was made into a fool by this sin. David, the most devoted man in the world, had his heart turned against God because of this sin. As a pastor, can I warn you? If you are in an improper relationship, if you are addicted to pornography, if you are into things, doing things you shouldn't be doing, stop now! You know, John, you don't need to shout. Yes, I do. The wreckage is everywhere in our culture. And that's why we read these stories to learn. Well, the story ends with a little bit of encouragement because Samson's hair began to grow back while he was in prison. Point five, the Philistines foolishly concluded their idol god, Dagon, had given them victory over the Lord. They brought him down to Gaza earlier in his life. Samson had been down at Gaza and slept with another prostitute there. They lay in wait for him till the morning, but in the middle of the night he got up and heaved up the city gates, these huge gates and crossbars and stuff, and put them on his back and carried them 37 miles away and chunked them on the top of a hill. That was embarrassing to them. The one guy could do that to them. So after all this happened and they could make a fool of him, they brought him back, right back to that city where he'd embarrassed them, and they said, now we're going to embarrass you. So the Philistine rulers held a great festival in Gaza, offering sacrifices, praising their god Dagon, and they said, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. And they demanded that Samson be brought out for this party. And they were at this big temple. And they were going to laugh at him. 
Now the temple was completely filled with people and all the Philistine rulers were there. There were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Samson had asked a little servant boy, he was blind, he'd asked the little servant boy to take him over. There were two central pillars that held up the roof of the temple. By the way, there's lots of archaeological evidence. There are other temples that were built, similar structure with two central support pillars. So this isn't far-fetched. And Samson asked a little servant boy to guide over there so he could rest against the pillars. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And then Samson put his hands on the pillars, the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both his hands. He prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. And that set the people of Israel free. All the rulers of the Philistines were gone. But what a tragedy that it had to end this way. Imagine if Samson hadn't given in to his lusts and his need for revenge. Imagine if he had prayed and stopped before all this. We finally have a prayer at the end of his life. What if you, you and I stop and pray and say, God, why did you leave me here? Why do you have me at my company? Why am I living in my neighborhood? Why am I a part of my family? Are there opportunities for me to be a light? Can I be a city on a hill? What do you want from me, God? I want to serve you. We could laugh at Samson. He had all this going for him, and he didn't do anything with it. Well, think of all the blessings we have going for us. What are we doing with it? And so I'll leave us with one life application. This is Paul in Romans 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You and I have been left here to be witnesses for God, to help meet the needs of others, to speak up for him with a timely word, to pray for people, to encourage people, to bear witness to our faith. I had some time over the sabbatical to talk with family members and friends and others that I just got back from, and I, it was so interesting to me because one of the conversations I got into was, you know, things might get difficult for Christians in the days and months and years ahead. And I said, yeah, I think so in our culture. I think that's part of it. And they said, why would God let that happen? I said, well, it's not all bad. I mean, imagine if things got tough for Christians in our culture and all of a sudden we were getting together and praying for each other. What if we were getting together and figuring out how to talk to our friends about our faith so we could defend our faith and understand, help them understand what we really believe and we would share that with them? What if we brought them into our house and said, how can we help you and serve you and meet your needs? And then we go... Well, why haven't we been doing that all along? God used a flawed hero, a very flawed hero. Apparently, he was the only one they could use at all. May that, be never be, may that never be said of us. Let's cooperate. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for the story of Samson. It's a complex story. He is a flawed individual. He had issues. God, I just pray that, Lord, we would cooperate with you and not fight against you. Oh, God, I pray that in the area of immorality, sexual immorality, Lord, you would take, help us take a strong stand in our lives against this, and we would run from such sin because it will destroy us all. If it brought Samson down, it can certainly bring us down. 
I pray, Lord, that we would see ourselves as cities on a hill that you have uniquely positioned in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our jobs, where we can give light to you, light for you, light to our whole world. We can be a bright light in a dark world. I pray, Lord, it won't take trouble or difficulty for us to get on our knees and pray. We should be doing that all the time. Please hear our prayers, Lord. We pray them now in the name of Jesus. Amen.